0: Well, good morning, Destiny Church. Thanks again for joining us for Church Online. I know that we really want to gather and we will be gathering soon, but I wanna thank you for continuing to gather for worship and to receive the Word in your homes. It shows your love and devotion to God's Word and your love and devotion to Him. I also wanna again welcome everyone from Fredericksburg and Greater Life Center Church that's been tuning in with us. We're so glad that you are tuning in today. And you're, we just want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us today. A couple things before we get to Acts chapter 8. So go ahead, grab your Bibles, Acts chapter 8. That is where we are going to be this morning. And just a couple of things I wanted to make mention of before we get to the scripture this morning. The first is I want to give a huge thank you to Troy Summers for building this pulpit. Now, I know this is going to drive Troy nuts that I'm publicly acknowledging him. But he put so much time and energy and effort into handcrafting what I think is a work of art. And ever since I was a little boy, I wanted to be like my grandfather, John Bell, who was a preacher. And this is like a dream come true for me. For the last six years, I've used my dad's pulpit and preached the word from that. But I've always had it in my heart to have something that showed off a little bit more what we believe about God's Word and the value and the importance that we place on it and the centrality that it has in our corporate times of worship. And I think that this pulpit does that and communicates that so well. So, Troy, love you, brother, and thank you for this gift to me and to our church and to the kingdom of God. The second thing I wanna make mention of is that we are making preparations to begin to regather for services live at 8635 Callahan Road on May the 31st, which is Pentecost Sunday. We've learned a lot over the last few months, and we believe that we are, are able to now begin to host services here where everyone is safe, where we're able to practice the right protocols and social distancing and all of that. And so I just wanted to put that out there, put it on your calendar. May the 31st, we're going to have the auditorium set up so that everyone is spread apart. And it's going to be a safe time for you to come and to gather and to worship. And I am confident of that. So, Acts chapter 8 is where we are this morning, and I wanted to remind you of the theme verse of the book of Acts before we get into our passage today. And that is Acts 1-8, and it reads, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we've seen as we've gone through the book of Acts together is that this promise that Jesus made has been fulfilled. He promised to pour out His Spirit upon His church, and that His church would be filled with His power, and Jesus has kept His promise. What we've seen is that the the church has borne witness to the gospel. They've borne witness to the resurrected Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, but they have not completed what Jesus told them to do. Up until this point, what we've seen is that the church has stayed in Jerusalem. They have not gone out into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They've stayed in their quote unquote holy huddle, if you will, in Jerusalem. And all of this begins to change on the day that Stephen was martyred. Last week from Acts chapter six and seven, we saw the story of Stephen, the servant in the church that was being used by God in a mighty way that people who opposed Christ filled with the spirit of the devil stoned him, mob violence, executed him. They took their anger and their rage and their opposition of the gospel, they took it out on this young servant in the church. And we are introduced in that moment to another young man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. As the people were throwing the rocks and throwing the stones and killing Stephen, they took off their coats, their cloaks, and they laid it at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this is where we pick up the story today in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And it reads, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except The apostles, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so that there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may also receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem Preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. Lord, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, in our time together in your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to live as faithful witnesses to you, to the gospel to the resurrection, to the saving power that is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. And that we, like the apostles and like the early church, Lord, that we would be filled with your power. And Lord, that many souls would be saved in our families, in our community, in our city, and in our world through a move of your spirit in our day. It's what our hearts long for. And we know that it is only through the mighty name of Jesus. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. So much in this passage stands out to me. But I want to draw your attention to three things this morning in our time together. And the first is simply the persecution that the early church was under. After it says that Saul approved of Stephen's execution, it says that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. This word great that Luke uses in Greek, the word is megas, M-E-G-A-S. It's where we get the word mega from. Literally, what Luke says is that there arose on that day a mega persecution against the church it tells us that paul or saul rather at this time that he was ravaging the church he's like a wild beast who is thirsty for blood it's this sadistic cruelty that's in his heart that he is not yet the apostle paul he's saul of tarsus and he is dominated not by the holy spirit but by this antichrist spirit and this thirst for blood And we get the sense as we read this that he enjoyed what he was doing. And it says that he went and entered house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And what I want to just submit to you this morning is that we, as Christians in the Western world, as Christians who have grown up in America, a country that was populated at first, by persecuted Christians who came here for religious freedom, the Puritans, the pilgrims, as they came here and established the first colonies of Massachusetts and Connecticut and Rhode Island, these places where they could come and gather freely for worship that we now have grown up in and have lived in really the greatest country in the world as far as religious freedoms go, that we have no idea whatsoever what this kind of persecution looks like. It is so hard for us to even imagine it. But I want you, if you will, for a moment, to imagine that this was happening in our day. Imagine that this was happening in our communities. Imagine that this was happening in your neighborhood. Imagine what it would be like if a SWAT truck pulled up into your neighborhood and pouring out of those agents from the government, armed to the teeth, beating on the doors, breaking them down, going into the house with one question. Are there any believers in Jesus Christ in this house? This is what Saul is doing. From house to house, he goes. Are there any Christians in here? Are there any believers in Jesus Christ in here? What would you do at that moment? What would you do? Would you profess, yes, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, knowing full well that upon that confession, you would be dragged to prison. You would be ripped from your family. Your children left screaming behind you as they are now orphaned. Can you imagine what this would be like? It's so hard to even imagine the pain, the heartache, the anguish as they are taken into prison awaiting a trial where if they refuse to recant their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, where they will be certainly sentenced to death, just like Stephen. As they are hauled away to prison, they are most likely for the last time seeing their children or their unbelieving spouse. Saul does not care whether it's a man or a woman. He's hauling them away if they profess faith in Christ. We have no idea what this is like. Yet they're standing firm. Yet they're confessing, I believe in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of God demonstrated. This is the power of the resurrected Christ as the Holy Spirit has enlightened their hearts beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Again, it's so hard for us to even imagine what this would be like. This persecution arises so quickly and and so uh, uh, violently against the church that immediately the families, they begin to pack up. that They begin to gather their belongings as soon as they can and they leave as refugees, scattered by this bomb that has gone off of persecution in the city of Jerusalem. The apostles go into hiding. The church can no longer gather. They cannot gather to hear God's word. They cannot gather to worship with one another. You know, if this would begin to happen in our day and age, people would rise up and they would say, we have rights. The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the freedom to assembly, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, these rights that we have been granted by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Well, let me tell you something. These people, they have no rights. They have no rights. They're subjugated people under Roman law. They do not have the right to assemble. They do not have the freedom of speech. They do not have the freedom to exercise religion. And so they flee. They scatter. Can you imagine what this would be like? Gathering your family in the night, whatever belongings that you can carry and fleeing from your neighborhood, fleeing from your city for your life. This is incredible persecution that has come against the church. But this would not have come as a surprise to the apostles. You see, Jesus, while he was still on the earth, he had told his apostles that this time was coming in John fifteen twenty, Jesus said to them, Remember the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. In John 6, 30, 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In John chapter 21, Jesus tells Peter that he would die a martyr's death. But that until that day comes, Peter was to preach the word, or as Jesus put it, feed my sheep. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught that we all would go through storms in this life. But that those who build their lives on God's word would persevere through every storm. This persecution would not have caught the disciples off guard. They would have been ready for it, prepared for it, because Jesus had prepared them for it. The second thing I want to draw your attention to today is that even as the church is scattered, splintered, fractured, that God's kingdom still advances through the persecution. The persecution does not stop the church it actually causes the church to grow, it causes the church to spread, it causes the church from, to move from Jerusalem now into the other parts of Judea and Samaria. It says that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And we here see the story of Philip, another one of the deacons who went down to Samaria. And what is this? This is God being God. This is God working all things together for good. And I know I've been reminding you a lot of this in this season, but I really believe in this season, it's so important that we keep this truth ever before us, that we serve the God that works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Up until this point, the church has stayed in Jerusalem. And why wouldn't they? They have so much love and provision and people selling their goods. And there's these awesome ministries taking place of healing and feeding the poor. And it's just awesome. Why wouldn't they stay put? But now persecution arises. And what Jesus instructed his followers to do begins to happen as now... The gospel is going into Samaria. God working all things together for good and for his purpose. And What I want to draw your attention to in this point is the means by which God works all things together for good. What is it that God uses to work this obviously bad situation, persecution so violent even unto death, Obviously a horrible thing, but what is it that God uses to turn this from a horrible situation into something that advances the kingdom of God and souls being saved? God works through his people. In this passage, we see it is through the faithfulness of his people that he works all things together for good. And so in our day and age, how is it that God is going to work this situation for the good of his people? Well, it's through his people. It's through us. It's through the church. It's through you and I. You see, we are agents of good in this world. We are the hands and feet of Jesus extended. And as the the church goes out, they faithfully proclaim the word. They faithfully proclaim the gospel everywhere they go. The persecution, the scattering, it does not shut them up. It simply presses them out into the world. And what we see here is that Philip, another one of the deacons, simply a humble servant in the house of God, a humble servant in the church. He is an ordinary saint endowed with extraordinary power. Philip is not some sort of super Christian. He's not some sort of super apostle. Listen, he's a normal guy filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And God uses Philip to transform the culture of an entire city, demons being cast out, people who have been in bondage to sin, in bondage and oppressed by the devil for generations. Philip goes in under the power of the Holy Spirit and pushes back the forces of darkness. And one man brings transformation to an entire city. Listen, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that was in Philip, is alive in you and me. That same Holy Spirit is what is in our hearts and what is in your hearts And so I want to encourage you to have a greater and a grander vision of how God can use you. You see, again, like I said last week, it's not about you. So often we think, well, I can't because of this and I can't because of that. And and my limitations and my weaknesses and my faults and my failures and my frailty. Listen, it's not about those things. It's about God's power in you. And I wanna impress upon you to have a greater expectation of being used by God, to elevate how God could use you through the power of His Spirit, even in this time of scattering that we are in. Just as we have been dispersed, not because of persecution, because of a pandemic, we haven't been able to gather in this time, but many of you have gone out just like the early church preaching, the word, sharing the gospel. I've heard testimony after testimony of what God is doing through your lives as you have remained faithful to him. I believe that God is working this situation for our good and that he is setting us up as his people for a time of harvest in our community and in our nation and in our world. What do I base that belief off of? I I base it off of what I see in scripture over and over and over again. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard, his people who remain faithful to him in the face of every opposition and every persecution to faithfully proclaim the only salvation that there is, the only hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And I believe that in, in this time and in this season that there will be a great ingathering of harvest, a great ingathering of souls as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus. The third thing I want to draw your attention to today, in conclusion, I want to look briefly at this man, Simon, from Samaria, this magician. We read about how he had the people of that town captivated by his magic by his sorcery, by his tricks, that he had convinced the whole town that he was something special, that he had some sort of power. Now we know that he didn't, that these were only tricks, these were only fake magic that he impressed people with. Nevertheless, he's deceived this whole town, he's led them astray. But when Philip comes into town with power, with the power of the Holy Spirit, not the false, but the true and the genuine, Simon takes notice. Simon begins to follow Philip around, and it says that he even confessed. He made a confession of faith and was baptized. He was added to the gathering, added to the church. Yet we see that as the apostles come and lay their hands on the people, and the people receive the Holy Spirit, that when he sees this power, he says, I want that. I want to be able to do that. And the sense that we get from reading it, especially as he offers to buy it for money and the, the revelation that God gives to Peter that he is full of bitterness, that he is full of sin and iniquity, that he was captivated, bound by this. We, we see that his motivations are not pure whatsoever. That Simon is not interested in the glory of God. Simon, the magician, is interested in In his own glory. And what's amazing to me is that even though we're only a few chapters into the life of the church, what we've already seen twice now, on two different occasions, first with Ananias and Sapphira and now with Simon the Magician, twice we've seen people who want to use the church to advance their own agenda. People who want to use what God is doing to advance what they are doing. In Galatians 2 verse 4, the Apostle Paul calls these people false brothers. They're not true believers. They don't truly believe in Jesus Christ. They may confess with their mouth, but they don't believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. They're they're happy to be attached to the church if the church can help them get what they truly want. But they're not interested in submitting their life to Jesus. And here we see that Simon wants to purchase this power so that he can go around and again be restored to his position of wowing people, of amazing people, of having people think that he is great. Not that God is great. And I know that this isn't a very exciting point. I know that this isn't a point that we high five ourselves and say wow this is awesome and we're so encouraged and built up by this but the reason I draw this out for you the reason I point this out to you is because as your pastor I love you and the reason why this passage is in this book and the passage of Ananias and Sapphira is because this is still a problem to this day in the church If in the early church, we see that this is a problem, we would be foolish to not think that it is a problem in the modern church. In the modern church, there are still people who want to use the name of Jesus for their own personal gain. Just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a believer. Just because someone professes to be a brother doesn't mean that they are true and they are genuine. And just because something is called Christian and is even put on Christian TV and sold in Christian bookstores, it doesn't mean that it's true and that it's genuine. We see that people are infiltrating the early church because they want to use what God is doing for their own glory, their own benefit, their own profit. And let me tell you, there are still people doing that today. And so we as God's people, and again, I tell you this as your pastor, because I love you, I don't want to see you led astray by false teachers. We as God's people, we must pray for discernment like Peter had. We must pray for wisdom like the apostles had who were able to spot this false brother so quickly. We need to pray that God would give us a spirit of wisdom, that God would confirm in our hearts what is true and what is false, and that we would not allow people to twist God's word and lead us into deception. And so I share this with you again, because my heart for you is that you would be led and grow into maturity, into the full stature of the character of Christ being birthed in you. That your potential in Christ would be met and would be realized and that you would not be led astray or sidetracked by some sort of false teaching and false doctrine by some so-called Christian teacher. You know, as we've looked at this passage this morning, we see that we serve a good God. And that even when life is tough and even when life is difficult and even when things are happening that we don't understand, that behind the scenes, the hand of providence is moving. The sovereign God is working. And while we might not understand what's happening right now in our country, with so many rumors of this and that and numbers and graphs and charts and who interprets the numbers one way. Listen, it's confusing. But one thing I am certain of, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and this truth gives me so much joy and comfort and peace at night, is that the sovereign God, my God, your God, is working. He is working through this. And he is going to bring about a, I believe, a great revival, a great ingathering of souls as we, as his people, remain faithful, faithful to witness, faithful to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you lead us and you guide us and you shape us and you mold us by your word. I know that this has not been the most exciting sermon. Nevertheless, it is so important. That's why you included it in your book. Lord, help us to take these truths to heart that even as we have been scattered, it's our job to be faithful. Even as we have been dispersed through this time, it's our job to go out preaching. It's our job to go out loving. It's our job to go out sharing the gospel. It's our job to go out witnessing to people. Lord, help us to not become sidetracked by so-called Christian people who want to promote their own agendas but they're not proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to keep the main thing, the main thing, to not take our eyes off of you, but fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that you would lead us and guide us day by day, step by step, and that your glory would be manifest through our lives in this time and in this season.